0: Wandering, she's been wandering, we were going down to the riverside.
1: Welcome to Cheese Underground Radio. I'm Jeannie Carpenter. Thanks so much for joining us. Today we talk with master cheesemaker Bruce Workman at Edelweiss Creamery in Monticello, Wisconsin. Bruce is one of the only American cheesemakers still making big wheel Swiss in a copper vat. We talk with Neville McNaughton about the science of why making cheese in a copper vat still matters. Stay with us. I'm
2: going down with my sweet Monica To the river's edge of the Pachytonica My guitar on my back and my harmonica We're all going down to the Pachytonica Love cheese
3: more. This episode of Cheese Underground Radio is sponsored by Fromagination, Madison's premier cheese shop, located in the heart of America's Dairyland, right on the Capitol Square. Fromagination's team of expert cheesemongers help you select the perfect cheeses and companions for every occasion. Shop online at Fromagination.com, or better yet, visit Fromagination and taste the cheeses that make Wisconsin famous. Imagination.
1: Love, cheese, more. In a world full of stainless steel, just a handful of the world's most iconic cheeses. Think Parmesan Reggiano in Italy, Emmental, Raclette, and Gruyere in Switzerland, and French Conte. They're all crafted in cheese vats made from copper. What difference does copper make in these cheeses? To find out, we tracked down one of the few American cheesemakers making cheese in a copper vat, Master Cheesemaker Bruce Workman at Edelweiss Creamery. We caught Bruce at his factory in southwest Wisconsin on a morning when he was operating on only a few hours of sleep. The computer helping run much of his equipment had broken down the day before and he was still trying to catch up, but he was happy to sit down, take a break, and talk cheese.
0: Yeah, I'm Bruce Workman. I'm owner-operator of Edelweiss Creamery. Um, been making cheese a long time, about 46 years. I am a Wisconsin master cheese maker, and I currently hold 11 titles. And I'm back in school for one more, so it's kind of cool.
1: Wow. And uh, so Bruce is sounding a little tired this morning because he's on extreme... Uh, sleep deprivation because anyone who makes cheese knows that everything is great when stuff works but he's facing computer problems today so thank you for taking time out of your schedule
0: oh it's not a problem <laughs>
1: <laughs> you'd probably be better off taking a nap right now
0: that can't happen either <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's your what's your normal make schedule like what time do you usually start making-
0: Uh we operate this plant from about one o'clock in the morning. That's when the startup cheesemaker arrives, my son. Um, we're running fluid milk somewhere between one thirty and a quarter to, two. And the plant is generally shut down and cleaned up by 4.30 in the afternoon.
1: And why why that schedule?
0: Well, I'm partly I'm old school. Um, you know, when I started, we didn't have cooling capacity for the milk. So what came in the day before had to be emptied and out and tanks washed before the milk came in. Now it's an efficiency thing. I run my plant on off-peak hours for electricity. So my off-peak hours are 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Okay. So by 10 a.m. in the morning, I've got all my milk pasteurized. The uh, pasteurizers washed. The separators are all done
1: running except for one. So does that mean that you're saving money on I'm electricity? I'm saving a boatload of money. When Bruce talks about being old school, the factory that he owns and operates, Ada Waste Creamery, is old school. It's a historic cheese plant, one of more than two hundred that was originally built in Green County, Wisconsin, more than a hundred years ago.
0: Uh, this factory again was built early, early nineteen hundreds, and you know they dug it into the hillside so that you had the natural cooling. Sure. I mean, this actually started as a Limburger factory, like most of them here in Green County did, and then was converted converted to Swiss in around nineteen. 19- Completely Swiss, 1951.
1: And when you two, say Swiss, like the like the big the wheels, big of Swiss? wheels. So how many how many copper kettles did they have in here? Back they had then?
0: 13 in this plant at one time. Really? And
1: did each each kettle she make one, one, one wheel? wheel? Wow. So 13 copper kettles, and I suppose the cheesemakers back then were using their backs all day. It was done by hand. Wow.
0: They had some pulleys to help get the cheese out of the kettles and stuff, but Still, you flipped it. You Ugh. moved the cheese. You grind it. You put it on the shelf. You washed them on the shelf. All done by hand.
1: It makes my back hurt thinking about it.
0: <laughs> it made theirs too. I'm sure. <laughs> That's why most of them drink. I think.
1: <laughs> so you, what year did you buy this plant in?
0: I bought this in August of 2003.
1: Okay. And it was condemned. I, I remember it was not in good shape. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, pretty rough. Yeah.
0: Uh, and and six, when when six did you months? make your
1: first? First batch of yeah. cheese.
0: April second of two thousand four, we opened our door. So in six months, we completely converted this plant from condemned to
1: manufacturing. So you you you're one of those fellows that brought a cheese plant back to life. Back that, to life. Yeah, it could have been sitting here. Well, it was sitting here falling down and it we was. It was five years, five
0: years in disrepair. Wow. When I bought it, but I was very fortunate. Uh, Albert Deppler owned the factory. Who Albert I called him the godfather of cheesemakers for Greene County, um, because he helped so many of us out. Albert owned the facility, he had kept the plant license up, he had kept the wastewater field license permit up, and my well permit was still good. So wow. when I bought the facility, I was still grandfathered in for a lot of things which really helped me out.
1: It was almost like he was waiting for you to buy it.
0: Well, he, didn't, he, he waited because he really demanded a lot before he would l- let me buy it. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, another old school cheesemaker. That was his his gig. He wanted to make sure that it was going to survive.
1: Sure. Not only is Edelweiss Creamery now surviving, it is one of the few plants in America making what Bruce calls Big Wheel Swiss and what the Swiss call Emmental. Wheels weigh up to 200 pounds and contain eyes or holes up to the size of 50 cent pieces. Bruce ages his wheels and then ships them to retail stores across the country. Not only is he one of a handful of folks making this type of cheese in America, but he is one of the only cheesemakers making Big Wheel Swiss in a copper kettle. So you're one of the few uh, cheesemakers in the country that owns a copper vat. And tell me, tell me why a copper vat's important to you.
0: Well, first of all, I, I went back to tradition. When I started making uh, cheese back in the early 70s, uh, we made Swiss cheese and copper kettles like they always did here in Greene County. Um, you can still make, you know, I mean, you can make Swiss cheese and stainless vats, but it's the amount of cultures you need to use to generate you know, what you want, the flavor profiles, the city is, is off the charts compared to if you do a little old world cheese making. And I'm more of an artisan style than I want to be a commodity cheese maker by any means. Um, it's important, like a brewmaster or a candy maker, you want a vessel that one that's going to heat very evenly. Copper is by far the most even heat there is. When you're cooking with steam, the whole jacket warms up, not just a hot spot. Uh, two, copper is a natural antibiotic. Uh, so if you're doing a raw milk cheese, like they still do in the mountains, they put the milk in that kettle and what happens is that kettle It actually helps knock down the unwanted bacterias um, so that when you're making your cheese, you're already helping yourself ahead of the game. Instead of having to pasteurize it, it actually helps knock those numbers down in your growth period. And, I mean, it's just really cool. I mean, (laughs) you walk into a plant, you see a nice shiny copper kettle, and everything else is nice, shiny, stainless. Um, You know, I just... I enjoy the old methods. Even though my ke- kettle is newer technology by, by far, it's still old world.
1: And tell me, how, how did you come to possess this kettle?
0: I was very fortunate um, as I was manager of the Roth Case plant in Monroe before they became Emmy, um, before I bought this facility, to have an employer who lived in Switzerland. And when I approached Felix at the end of my, or close to the end of my tenure, and said I wanted to venture out back on my own again, uh, and what I wanted to make Swiss cheese because nobody in Greene County was making it anymore, actually nobody in the United States was making the big 200-pound wheels, he said, uh, oh, yeah, I can get you some equipment. It's not a problem, you know, blah, blah, over in Switzerland. And I said, well, I want new technology, though. I don't want the one kettle at a time. I, we got to take some of the labor out of it. Uh, within three or four days of him returning to Switzerland, he had already found me a kettle and a press and everything else. And I hadn't even bought the facility yet. I mean, <laughs> I was still working on that end of it. We waited a couple of weeks and uh, he called me back up and said, I, I bought you some equipment. He, he bought me the master cheesemaker school that was in Rüti, Switzerland. Uh, it was a cheesemaking school that taught, because they have a, a three-year program, you spend one year in a factory that produces grana-style cheeses your hard cheeses, all of which are made in copper kettles over there. So this kettle that I have was actually manufactured in 1988, uh, but it taught hundreds of cheesemakers how to make cheese. Uh, And my press was in their facility. It makes four wheels at one time. It was made in 1991. So I got some fairly new equipment for a really good deal.
1: So how, so you can make four wheels of like 180 pound swiss at one time in in one vat so one vat vat makes four wheels yeah my kettle is
0: actually big enough to make five but we adjust the milk to make four because that's what the press holds right
1: and i've seen your press um it that allows you to you don't have to uh, manually flip those wheels right right? that which is which there's, is huge.
0: There's a couple things about that. One, it's because it's a, a deep vessel like a universal press, mm-hmm. But as the curd's going in there, it's always kept under the whey, which means we don't incorporate any oxygen into that curd mass, which will give you a lacy look. Mm. Uh, second, then when we start pressing, it's still underway. Again, it, it gets the whey out, but doesn't incorporate any oxygen. Uh, after we press it uh, for a little while, then we can pull the whey off. We can rinse the kettle out by pushing a button that kettle then will flip 180 degrees and it does the press from the top down and then the press from the bottom up and Mm. it will just rotate like that until the morning when we come in so there's no more coming back at three in the afternoon seven o'clock at night early in the morning to start i mean it's that is probably by far the neatest thing about making swiss cheese
1: yeah it's a lot easier on the knees and the back back and
0: and shoulders
1: Yeah. Yeah. You see... You
0: get a social life.
1: (laughs) But you also used to see, maybe most of them are are gone now, but I remember seeing old-time Swiss cheese makers that were pretty hunched over, you know, just that the cheese really was hard on their body. You're looking at one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not that old.
0: You know, I'm 63 and I've had my back surgery and I've had both my knees replaced, but it's because I've lifted heavy weights my whole life and that's part of the industry.
1: It's part of being a cheesemaker.
0: Yeah. But it's, you know, where else can you go to
1: work every day and do a hell spot? <laughs> <laughs> Your skin does look radiant. Oh, yeah. I asked Bruce what specific flavor profile he thinks a copper kettle gives to cheese and whether consumers should be concerned about eating a cheese made in a copper vessel. It turns out that that was one of his concerns as well. But data from the Wisconsin Center for Dairy Research as Bruce calls the CDR, in Madison, helped allay those concerns. Do you think that um, using a copper kettle lends itself to any sort of the, the, the actual flavor of the oh, cheese? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
0: you get some sloughing off of the copper oxide, and it's so, so, so minute. We we had to do research with CDR uh, so that we could sell our way, because the FDA said there's way too much copper in there, and that's are saying, no, there's not. It's... You don't even notice it.
1: Oh, that's interesting. You get, you
0: get more out drinking beer than you would out of out of eating cheese. But,
1: so the uh, FDA was worried that there would be copper in the way. In
0: the way, which then you stake the cream out. Well, then that that there might be some left off in the cream, and huh. you know, I mean, it's just a downhill slide. But I mean, the CDR in Madison was was stellar in doing the research and saying, you know, there's really no issue here
1: interesting uh, but
0: yes for flavor profile absolutely some of the cultures uh take that copper and it works with the flavor profiles
1: so is the only cheese that you make in your copper kettle the the emmentaler the big wheel swiss well right now
0: currently yes okay. I, I mean i i got plans uh if and when our new edition gets ex- gets put on we're we're going to do some raclette's we're going to do uh some Comte style we're mm. we're you know some italian style fontinas
1: but still, either Italian or Alpine style. For yeah, that the kettle. high temp,
0: the therm- the high temperature the cultures you want to use thermophiles with. The so,
1: so like, why don't, why wouldn't you make cheddar in the copper vat, for instance?
0: Well, one, it would have green flex flakes in it for a while because copper oxide sloughs off. So, hmm. as the cheese ages, the you know, fresh cheese like that would have a green speck in it every now and then because it's copper oxide. Okay. But as that ages, that dissipates out. It's gone. Okay. Uh, but. Yeah, I don't think you'd have a really good flavor profile with cheddar. It's, I don't think it's
1: conducive to it. The science supports Bruce's hunch. Making cheddar or any other cheese other than an Alpine or Italian style in a copper kettle just doesn't work. We asked Neville McNaughton. He owns a company called SDI, which makes specialized equipment for cheesemakers. He's also a consultant for cheesemakers in the United States. And since 2000, he's developed recipes and equipment for some of the most famous artisan cheesemakers in America. And you might be able to tell from his accent that he's a native to New Zealand. So, um, so tell us, why, why do we see so many of that, the, the iconic um, aged cheeses, the, the Gruyere, the, the Swiss Emmentaler, the Parmesan Reggiano, why, why are they made using copper vats?
2: I'm never quite sure that many of things that happened historically were deliberate, right? And so I think that uh, copper was an easy metal to work with. I believe that it had lots of virtues um, and it would heat well and the uniformity of heating was great. But it was that um, just the fact that that was the metal they had. Because if you compare it with steel, it would have rusted, it would have been gross, it would have been terrible. But copper worked. So I don't know that anyone sat down and created a designer cheese that had to have a copper vat to make it. But there are certainly things that are unique about the cheeses that are made in copper vats. But though that aspect of uniqueness is that most of the cheeses that were made in copper vats, many of them were cooked quite high. So Parmigiano-Reggiano, uh, Gruyere, Comte, berg Emmental, pretty high temperatures, And uh, the only real exception that I can think of is maybe Morbier is also made in a copper vat, but it wasn't cooked so high. So that's a little bit different. But there is one thing that they all have in common is that at the point that we're removing the whey off the curds in the vat, their pHs are still very high. And when I use the word very, which is an emphasis, um, you know, cheddar might be 62 but these are 6.5. So the pH and the effect on the copper is much less than if you were using a very acid cheese.
1: Right. And so to the average listener, there's not a big, big difference in those numbers 6.5 and 6.2. But tell me what happens to cheese between those two numbers.
2: Um, A lot of things. And so the chemistry of the cheese is very different. And so um, well. You couldn't call Parmigiano-Reggiano a sweet-bodied cheese. The Emmentaler is very flexible-bodied cheese. A uh, young Gruyere, very flexible. Um, a young Morbier, very flexible. In other words, when a trier, a cheese maker, takes a trier sample from the cheese, and he looks at it when it's young, it's very flexible, and that is a function of high pH. It means we've retained a lot of the minerals that are in the natural milk are still in the cheese. And the calcium uh, phosphate complex, that's the glue that's holding that whole process together, is still intact. And as we come down in pH, getting down to cheddar, um, we're losing those minerals to the whey. And it's often been said that you know the most healthy cheese might be Gruyere here because the calcium levels are high and the sodium levels are low. When we come down to cheddar, <clears throat> we've lost a lot of those minerals and uh it is not as flexible. The body's snap more like a carrot, and it's, it's different. And so the effect of that increasing acidity as you come down to cheddar, it would actually, in a copper vat, leach more copper ions out of the copper into the cheese. And that system then you would have with the ones that are called super sweet, which are above 6.5.
1: Okay. So, so can, can you make cheddar in a copper vat, or, or would you want to do that?
2: Well, you certainly can, but the answer is, should you? And
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is often the answer to questions, isn't
2: it? Yeah, when we ask the question, everybody says, can I do this? And the answer is nine times out of 10, yes. But you need to think carefully about whether you really want to do that. And so there is cheddar cheese um, that I'm aware of being made in a copper vat. I've tried it, I've tasted it, and I would certainly never take it in preference to cheddar made in a stainless steel vat because the history of cheddar was not copper mm. and it's very funny i think that these things were discovered by folk a long time ago is that when they did certain things in a copper vat they got excellent outcomes when they and that's why they probably never developed these more acidic cheeses in those copper vats because they didn't taste good
1: oh wow, that's that's really fascinating and what about so what about The copper leaching into the cheese. So if I eat a if I eat a cheese that's made in a copper vat, am I consuming any copper?
2: In the cheeses where the copper is being leached out, it definitely has an impact on flavor, and it would be regarded as favorable. It is almost a characterizing agent, and it's not a negative. But that copper is working on the fat in the cheese, and creating a a note at low levels that's very pleasant.
1: Okay. You know, you, you work with lots and lots of cheesemakers across the country. Do you have any idea how many folks are using copper vats?
2: Oh, my gosh. Very few. Incredibly few. I, I haven't got i – I've never done a count, but I think I could probably come up with five or six.
1: Wow. Wow. So folks like Bruce Workman, who's making his – so he makes um, – when we talked with him, he – I asked him what cheeses he made and he gave me a list that went on for a long time but the only cheese he's making in the copper vat are his big wheel swiss the the emmental. That's um, right. And so I I like like, like the swiss cheesemakers he's also I think figured out <laughs> that the copper has makes a difference with the emmental but but not the others. That's correct. Yeah.
2: I mean he would simply never make his other cheeses in that back because he knows that it would be negative, not a plus. So it's a positive for his Emmental, it's a negative for the others.
1: So while master cheesemaker Bruce Workman makes Big Wheel Swiss in a copper kettle, we could have done an entire podcast about all the other cheeses he makes. Tell me what, I, I know you make a lot of cheeses, but tell me what all you make.
0: Uh, well, besides the Big Wheel Swiss, we do uh, a low fat, low sodium Lacy Swiss, um, we do a baby Swiss. We do a grass based gouda. We do a conventional gouda. Um, I do buttercost. I do Munster. I do uh, farmers. I do Havarti. I do Havarti with different condiments dill, habanero, jalapeno, onion, vegetable blend. Um, I make cheese for a farm called Fair Oaks Farms out of Indiana. We do a sweet Swiss for them. We do a bicolored cheese we call it Calico. Uh, I make Bel Piesa. Um I do some low-fat, low-sodium cheddars and, and mozzarella and Monterey Jacks. I think we're at 23 varieties or 24 <laughs> varieties if you put it all together. No
1: wonder you're certified in, in 11, yeah. faster. It's a challenge. <laughs> it's
0: like te- playing Tetris every day with a make schedule. Can I'm... you put this to fit or not? You know?
1: Wow. Well, I have to admit that your butter quesa is my favorite uh, snacking cheese. I tend to buy a piece of that at the grocery store. Yeah, your eyes, like, look at his eyes. He's naughty, his head. <laughs> <laughs> and a package of crackers, and sometimes that's dinner. Yeah. I mean, it's it's yummy because it's like, it's salty, and it's creamy, and it's like the potato chips of cheese. Yeah. You just can't eat you one can't piece. You can't eat just one piece,
0: but it makes the best grilled cheese sandwich
1: ever. Oh, a new... New application, you're at. Mark that one down.
0: That one with tomato bis soup. Awesome.
1: <laughs> at age 63, Bruce Workman still loves making cheese, but he's also at the age where he's ready to start mentoring the next generation of Workmans to take Adelweiss Creamery into the future. And your son is making cheese with you now?
0: My son is doing a great job. Um, he was actually graduated from college with two majors, one in something like cellular molecular chemistry, another in microbiology and a minor in chemistry. He was
1: pharmaceutical. Oh, good Lord. And That's a lot of science. Yeah, a lot of science.
0: He's really a brain. And he came one day and said, is the job still open to come back and work in the cheese factory? And I said, absolutely. And he's really stepped up his A game. Um, he works very hard. He is now the plant manager. And he uh, He's learning the ropes, he's learning what it takes, and it's, it's really fun to watch him grow.
1: So do you think that technology has gotten to the point where he's gonna have back surgery and two new knees by the time he's your age?
0: Well, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I had actually bought some enclosed vats I was gonna put in the plant to put some technology in here to help things out a little bit. And after a long discussion, he looked at me and he said, I don't think I want them. When I do that, then I got to change my recipes. I'm going to have opened and enclosed vats. I'm going to have two different recipes. I want a consistent quality cheese. So sell them. And so I did. So we bought some open vats to replace the ones that I bought that were enclosed. And he likes that artisan touch to be able to feel the curd and see what's going on and and know by touch and. F- and feel and temperature if it's ready to go or not and how the grip is.
1: Right. Still, still cutting it by hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that speaks volumes to the quality of your cheeses. If you're interested in learning more about making cheese and copper vats, check out my blog, cheeseunderground.com. Our program today was produced with the help of Uriah Carpenter, who like me apparently needs to drink more Moscow mules from copper mugs. Have you ever had a drink called the Moscow mule? Um no. It's a cocktail. Yeah. So it's um, it's, ginger it's ginger beer. And I don't know, you can tell Uri and I really drink a lot. We don't even know what's in it. Our theme music was composed and performed by Point Five, one of my favorite local bands out of Mineral Point, Wisconsin. So that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Next week, we talk with dairy farmers producing milk for one of the best Wisconsin-made blues you've probably never heard of, North Hendren Cooperative Dairy. We'll learn about their struggle to survive in a modern world of cheese distribution. Until then, you can connect with me on Facebook. Just search Cheese Underground or follow me on Twitter, at Cheese Geek. Have a great week.
3: Love cheese more. This episode of Cheese Underground Radio is sponsored by Formogination, Madison's premier cheese shop. Located in the heart of America's Dairyland, right on the Capitol Square. Nation's team of expert cheesemongers help you select the perfect cheeses and companions for every occasion. Shop online at Fromogenation.com. or better yet, visit Nation and taste the cheeses that make Wisconsin famous. Nation, love cheese more.
1: It, it seems like maybe a few decades ago that a lot of Wisconsin cheesemakers were, were very um, they guarded their, their knowledge and their information, but um, perhaps now you're more more open to, to helping folks with well, questions? Well, you know,
0: we are one industry, hmm. and as we grow, we can't expect somebody to try making a good cheese if they have no clue, and we don't want to see this industry fail.